Welcome to Tactical Permaculture. I've worked on projects ranging from the poorest to richest clients, from inner cities to suburbs to farmlands to remote wilderness, from the eco-war front lines to celebrity backyards. In over 25 years of service to the earth and the community of life, I've learned that in the fight for sustainable survival, growing is half the battle. Please go to tacticalpermaculture.com to read my blog, watch my videos, view my photos, access web applications, and click on the join membership link to access exclusive features. Saturday, August 19th, episode number 80. I'm recording this now because I hope you're able to hear the gentle sound of the rain in the background. Finally, after at least, I believe, three separate intervals, cycles of me deploying these 20, these very cumbersome and heavy 16 mil tarps that are 20 by 20, often with small or uh, moderate to extreme winds that when you're trying to open that sail, it's exactly what it does, tries to make you fly away, knocks you over and makes it hard to get in place. And uh, yeah, it's been a struggle at least for the last several weeks as um, just the the compounding crushing effects of 24-7 heat torture, heat illness on the, on the edge of on that fine line between heat exhaustion and heat stroke just forces me to be bedridden for most yeah for all but um, a few possible upright movement tasks before the sun gets out overhead which is just a couple hours in the morning if I get up at four or five I can move around but uh, this has not happened ever before in my life it's only happened this this summer uh, where I don't know if it's just just the fact that uh, you can't, you can't go from one year to the next and think that your body is going to hold up in the same way. So it seems like in some ways, yeah, you can get acclimatized. In some ways, you, you get tougher. But in other ways, you're actually just getting ground dust. And, and it's maybe taking, taking, taking away some uh, ability and this this summer for the first time again in my life I've never experienced anything like this but basically in the, in the uh, between the yeah basically in in the the upper all all around the upper thighs deep into the joint and all the way out to the 
to the muscles closest to the surface. It, it's a, uh, I don't know if it's a combination of, of uh, something lacking in my diet or, and but it's, cer- it's certainly a factor of atrophy. So I've been re- researching atrophy and um, just hoping that it's that it's as simple as um, just me aging. I mean, you can't forget that factor. But aging, yeah, maybe it's maybe there's like there's dog years. Maybe there's desert rat years. If once you migrate under these conditions, and then of course, I mean, <laughs> the heat, the climate crisis makes everything a wild card. I mean, I survived the hundred and twenty-five degree temperatures and didn't go below 100 degrees even at the coolest time in the middle of the night early morning and uh yeah i think it knocked a few marbles loose upstairs that's i know that for sure it took a lot to get to even this point where finally it's cool enough for me to have a blanket because of the rain and that's the first time and yeah two and a half months or something now two months at least two months now but uh yeah it's been it's been the most the most brutal uh crucible to get through and nothing easy about it certain things were easier than the last couple years but certain things are harder and those harder things are, are are definitely taking her toll so my only hope is that uh, the it's it's really agonizing pain my only hope is that um, I mean it's, it's painful to walk and to move at all and I, I <laughs> if I had to describe it it doesn't it doesn't look painful the way that uh, Robocop would walk in that suit it doesn't it seems like it was something that was rehearsed. I know that I've watched the behind the scenes and the commentaries and whatnot. I know that it was very hot where and when they were filming and that suit was so um, kind of suffocating and, and, and heat trapping that he could only do so much at a time and only film for so long and had to be constantly rehydrated. It seemed like, yeah, a lot of the times, I don't know what they're thinking <laughs> I don't know what they're thinking and why any of any. I mean, they're, I, I I could understand if it if it was low budget films where they just don't have the flexibility. But if it's a full on studio backed production, you always hear about them putting through putting actors through hell. Usually, it being extremely hot and sometimes sometimes being extremely cold. Um, I just don't know what I don't I don't know what they're thinking not to not to choose different times of the year but I but the thing about Robocop and the way he walks it was like it seems like yeah he said he studied birds and that's why because he wanted to get this sort of very primal I know, I know, yeah, like when, um, what was his name? The the guy who played the uh, the bad 
Terminator and Terminator 2. He studied, I think he studied insects and worked with the martial arts master of, sort, of some sort just to get to get the most precise and 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 just squared uh, squared off type movements just devoid of the kind of humanity so so the robocop actor um i know both of their names but it's escaping me right now for some reason but uh yeah, a couple of great... In, in fact, if you haven't seen Fire in the Sky, Jason... No, not Jason Patrick. Uh, Patrick something or somebody Patrick, that's who That's who was uh, in, 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 uh, in Terminator 2. But, but anyway, the way Robocop walks, it doesn't seem like he's... I mean, it seems like he's... he's it's actually really interesting and, and really um, well done to convey a very robotic it's even it's it's even the way you see you saw a lot of the the gate of human figures in video games and animations it's even the even the simul the, com, the computer generated graphics when before recently when it, everything is just accelerated so so realistic I don't know how many decades you would see CGI people and they would be walking in this really kind of robotic way where it just didn't seem smooth and it seemed really just really forced and really deliberate and really uh, standardized and, and cold and robotic. Certainly not a a strut with any kind of swagger or <laughs> that human touch, that human feel. Um, but but for me, it's yeah. I don't think that they put nails and spikes in that suit to give him pain, so that he would walk only in a certain robotic fashion, because to do otherwise would be agonizing pain. So you kind of have a like when you see somebody limping. Usually it's because whatever that, however, whatever awkward way that they have to maneuver as as they walk, it's usually because, I mean, for some people, it's just like not even, they're kind of numb. They're, they're not really navigating and trying to avoid a painful stimulus and so that they walk a certain way that's shaped and determined by the threshold of pain on one part of one leg or, or both or m multiple areas um, yeah, some people could just be oh I, I I'm paralyzed or something I'm, I'm partially paralyzed and, and so that's why there's a limp or I'm on with crutches or a walker or, or whatever it, it may be it's it's um For me, it's the opposite, or it's an alternate situation where the way that I have to walk now, it looks like RoboCop, not because I'm trying to <laughs> trying to be a robot, but because literally to not, for, for whatever reason, it just happens to be 
it just happens to work out that uh, the pain that I have to try to avoid in terms of where the weight shifts as I move, it, it honestly feels like, I mean, the only explanation is that the atrophy has been, I did not experience this kind of, this, this at all before. So my only, my, my first thing I started studying and researching was, was atrophy from being bedridden. And I was no less bedridden over the last two summers. But this time, for some reason, some combination of factors that I can only imagine are it made it made me susceptible to atrophy is what it what it seems to be. I was also doing it's weird because I was doing stretches morning stretches and I've I've had to tone I've had to dial them back but I was doing I was stretching and I felt fine. I felt great. There was no I mean in the cooler in, before the temperature went off the charts, I would stretch and I would feel fine. I certainly wasn't ex experiencing any pain beyond what's recommended to breathe through a stretch. And there was no acute injury whatsoever, but I almost feel like once the heat set in, what would normally occur with muscle repair and the and the the, the natural? I'm not a sports medicine doctor. I can, I don't. I'm I'm kind of. I'm just speaking from experience. Never before in my life would I end up in a situation where a, a relatively mild stretching regimen would leave me feeling like the areas that got stretched that were totally fine all this all of a sudden when the only correlated factor was was just the heat so maybe it's dehydration as well and some form of effect of something lacking in the diet which could be I would I would hope that I'm telling myself I just need to eat more meat. I hope that that I mean I'm gonna I'm gonna have to try different things if it doesn't go away. After I have to expect it now for another month, and if it doesn't go away after that, then my either either the heat caused it and and and. And it's going to be persistent for a while, and I have to. At least I'll have one factor removed, and I'll be able to. I'll be able to do more actually to. Recondition and and fight the atrophy with the only way that you can, obviously. With a, a nutrient dense diet. I mean, that's what it's recommending to do. Reading reading up on. There's protocols because this happens to everybody. This happens to war veterans. It happens to sports, for people with sports injuries. It happens to people in car accidents. I mean, there's a million reasons why you would end up 
even less mobile than me for even longer periods of time, I'm still able to, to get up and move around. So it's not, it's, it's not the purest form of atrophy. It's just the only explanation that I can come up with because the weird thing is it's only it's only in those areas that that the stretching have been done I don't feel any I mean my back has been its own its own finicky problem to solve but I've ad- adjusted in many ways to mitigate chronic back pain and I've been very successful at that so yeah part of my part of my reality has been really going back to about uh yeah it was 2019 it was 2019 that I said to myself if my creative works and my attempts and to chase my dreams and try to I don't want to say be a star but but be supported for what I thought was my hero's journey by the world. Like if, if, if I can't, if I don't have wind under my wings and I'm just flapping them off, flapping my wings with no wind beneath them until they are starting to break apart and fall off and I'm gonna die trying to do this and I better, and I, I, should, I should at some point make a cutoff where I say, this is not realistic and at least you tried and you can't regret. You cannot regret having not tried because you tried, but you also can't continue to chase dreams. Can't even continue to chase girls really. You have to accept what you achieved in terms of your career of chasing dreams, your career of chasing girls and chasing women. But I knew and pretty much it was, <laughs> that was when I was 39 and I, I hadn't really timed it, but it did, it did make sense. You got to stop fucking around. You got to act like an adult and you can't keep behaving like a teenager or 20 something. Chasing girls and dreams. And this random chain of events led to tinnitus in one ear and it's still with me today although it's I wouldn't say it comes and goes but my perception of it makes it so most of the time I'm not aware of it but there are only a few there's rarely does it rarely does it feel very loud and very prominent but it was a shock because it changed everything for me and a lot of people lose their mind over it. That was the first thing I found out reading up on it. And uh, I have some theories about what caused it. I mean, I've been a drummer in bands for most of my life really and always wore earplugs, but sometimes they'd fall out and sometimes they don't work perfectly and that's a factor and then there were other acute factors at that time. Part of it, one, I think the, 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 the night that I, the morning that I woke up and I, and I had ear aches was a time when I was car camping and trying to avoid uh, 
the the worst elements that are threatening when you have to be car camping in LA on Skid Row. And it ended up that where I was posted up at was where these cement trucks trucks were these cement semi trucks were idling all night long and uh i even had earplugs in but my theory is that the vibrations they were happening just right next to my head literally um you know a, a lane or two away in that center lane just one after the next all night long and uh just shook something loose in one of my ears, some one of those tiny bones or something. Delicate material. Because it was literally... Before that, it wasn't... It, it, before that, I did have some... I did have some... Uh, some kind of tinnitus flashes that were coming out of nowhere. They would happen in the shower for some reason. But they would just come and go. But they would get as loud as it would eventually be and stay that loud and never stop. And only only get perceptively less loud because you're not paying attention to it. If I am listening to music or whatever, I don't feel like I have any hearing loss. Of course, I haven't had a, a test done to know for sure if there's any difference between the ears, but... Part of me thinks eventually it will go away. There was one really, really anomalous event that occurred after its onset where where it seemed to just migrate. I hadn't slept and I and uh I was sleep deprived and I felt pressure and a pressure shift from my left ear to my right ear and the tinnitus actually moved from the left ear to the right ear and back again which made me think that possibly it's something kind of more neurological or maybe something that could be affected. I don't know, maybe a hypnotist could just clap really loud or pop a bag or something the way they try to cure hiccups or something and it would just go away. Uh, Again, I mean, it wasn't wasn't an acute injury. There was never a... Other than that, that one night and... um, so if that if I if I had to if I had to blame it on being impoverished and having to live <laughs> in a vehicle on the side of the road on Skid Row, then um, that's kind of the story of my life. Or that's uh, some people would say it's poetic justice. You deserve it. You know, yeah, sooner the better. Put us out of your misery. <laughs> I don't think I had that many enemies. I don't think there's that many witches trying to do voodoo doll curses on me. But no matter what, I'm going to just soldier on and complete whatever mission I have set out for myself. But the statement I made to myself at that time, I just had to think hard and look in the mirror and go, what's next, you know? Where do you want to collapse in what who to whom do you want to be a burden if if and when other things on your body start falling apart because of your age and now I'm at the age where 
standard practice to be to be worried about prostate and colon cancer and all kinds of other things just falling apart that's why you enter a health insurance premium bracket that's however much of a leap in um in cost because of these decade life chapter brackets and so yes yeah, it's, it's it's a painful thing if you're younger than if you're if you're younger than 40 live it up and have fun and just drive the wheels off of life and do not do not be so timid and and so and lack bravery to not follow your dreams while you have time to fuck around and fail financially and in romance and uh in business and in art just try everything and keep failing at everything and be only care only about be carefree only about everything except for the fact that at some point you're going to be forced to pivot and grow up and start to live with some battle wounds of um the costs of pursuing your dreams and yeah i mean i i thought it was a spiritual person and was having good karma and maybe was over zealous or over leveraged into the belief that i was all holistic and and new agey and that i could just will disease and illness and pain away with the right vibes you know the right mantras but no i think we're 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 flesh and bone and uh just like wild animals they get tore up you know they get infections they die they break limbs you see it all the time and they don't have the the hubris about the laws of the jungle to where they're gonna create some sort of cockamamie healing modality to sell like snake oil and be a grifter about so i talk about my pain and my ailments now in a way that's i would just say yeah obviously i try not to be bitter and my spiritual teachings that i live by are, are such that just try to purify your your mind stream and and be grateful and uh and try to accept things and and don't blame anybody else certainly take responsibility and those are just all mentally healthy ways of managing your biochemistry because if you are a negative thought pattern person about anything you're basically squeezing your hormonal glands to produce toxins that uh, will prevent tissue repair in, increase the rate of a- aging and cell death and um get you turn you grayer faster slow your digestion mess up growth everything gets dysregulated because your body is tricked by your mind in distress thinking that you're in some form of evolutionary existential stress to where it shuts down all of the normal functions in order to just have this biochemical tunnel vision around survival but it's supposed to wear off and when they talk about stress and the studies of stress done 
in nature. Zapowski, I think Robert Zapowski was the one who studied baboons and was able to prove that stress can kill. Studying the most, one of the most violent and hostile and just terroristic primate societies out there, he was able to study the effects over over time within his population, and it's pretty amazing work. It's worth checking out. Uh, his 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 thesis because that basically established the link between stress and illness. Um, I think he was the pioneer of of that whole field, and uh, so you don't need a lot of questionable kind of half baked pseudoscience spirituality to to arrive at the same conclusion, which is that you should purify your thought stream and you should live with an attitude of gratitude, positive mental attitude, whatever fortune cookie bumper sticker you want to slogan you want to you want to that works for you but it's got to be something that keeps that keeps your blood alkaline i mean get in, in the physical in the very physical sense keeps your cortisol level down and keeps you from acidifying keeps you relaxed internally and externally or psychologically and and physically and a lot of people hold a lot of tension because of holding resentment and trauma so there's ways to physically intervene that don't require a narrative of buying into any spiritual tradition I'm not saying I'm atheistic I'm not saying I've lost my faith in what I believe in and what I've encountered in my life that makes me a believer in what I believe in. But it's not front and center. I certainly don't preach about it anymore. And the more ground to a pulp by the elements I get, the more I arrive at what John Zerzan pointed out about the 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 hunter-gatherer band-level societies. For example, the Kung San in the Kalahari Desert in Africa, what's left of their culture, what's left of their people, hasn't been driven into cities and forced into farming and animal husbandry, but the last remaining hunter-gatherers, which I studied extensively earlier in my in my days when I was more, more of a dedicated anarcho-primitivist. And we both, both he and I, as friends in the same community, while I was going to University of Oregon, we were the ones who were. I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. I, I would say that. Um, that I had his back and he had my back, and it was kind of. I wouldn't say we were best friends. We didn't know each other that that well, but we. It was in certain ways in our community. It was us against the world because we were the. We were the most. Uh, we were the most zealous about the implications of studying anthropological literature to understand and and critique civilization from that set of data. And for the people who were were, um, in denial about it, they would create elaborate, and they were friends, we were all friends, and we we would all collaborate, but we would have these, these sort of performative rifts as friends even and as just intellectual sparring partners 
and I respect I respect their critiques of us and their critique of me. Just they didn't want to be over reliant on anything that's a Western science, and certainly anthropology does not have a pretty origin story. It's very racist and very disturbing. Um, but I, I think it matured and grew out of that and became one of the most um, important saving graces of academia. And there's a, a lot of reasons why I feel that way. I've talked about it before. I don't want to go into it too much now. But I will say something that John said not too long ago was um, pointing out something that I knew full well but kind of strayed from, which is that just critiquing the the, the, the sort of neurosis and the the inherent OCD of of religious practice of any kind and the idea of that evolving culturally out of this this perversion of the relationship to wild nature that is agriculture and domestication of animals to where you become dependent on such a limited small number of crops and animals where when they get diseases or there's climate fluctuations you end up with your teeth falling out and dying and famine and just total population collapse because you were out on a limb and over leveraged into simplified ecosystems whereas your ancestors and the living representation of all of our ancestors for for example in this scenario the Kung San they had a sweet spot of population density where they could afford to live in total abundance year-round and had a great buffering of drought and flood and disease and whatever else in the in the environment because they had such a diverse diet even in a barren desert they had such there was enough biodiversity and their impact was so low and so dispersed being nomadic only carrying what they could comfortably carry with them their children and some of their tools but even all their tools were so easily reproducible wherever they went that's how adaptable they were to their environment finely tuned they didn't need to even carry stuff that they that they the tools that they needed digging sticks and stone tools and cordage and whatever else i don't remember at all right now but but they were so dynamic and so free and they were free from the neurosis of having to pray to fabricated deities and, and mythic beings to sort of save them from their own disaster that they created which is to be defiant of the natural order of being a nomadic hunter-gatherer in a small band of 25 to 50 people and if you don't like that and it seems eco-fascist for me to even dare to, to speak the truth about our, our ancestors that lived that way for 99% of human history because the agricultural quote-unquote revolution or Neolithic revolution wasn't a revolution. It was a slow, gradual process of only a few cultures in a few places making a fool's errand of a path into animal and plant domestication which was a it was a, uh, uh, a bargain with the devil, and they had hell to pay for it. Teeth started falling out, bones started falling apart, uh, 
this fossil record doesn't lie. Switching to a grain-based annual crop agriculture was a massive energy sink of people having to work and be slaves to the land and then ultimately enslave animals to be slaves, slave to the fields and then enslave themselves to the machines to work the fields. And then, yes, people think it's great that now we have symphonies and pyramids and skyscrapers and division of labor that allows the working class basically slave farmers to to produce all the food and now chem ag has um shifted that dynamic but not in a way that serves anybody or serves the earth or serves humanity it just makes the problem even even worse in a lot of ways i mean at least everything, even if it was slave labor and sl- slave human labor and slave animal labor for thousands of years of agriculture, it, at least it was all organic because there were no toxins, there were no chemical labs. That's also very recent. But the poignancy of that sentiment that John pointed out about the fact that the hunter gatherers would be able to laugh at the settled societies and their rituals to pray to the gods that they, I mean, the gods must be crazy. That's literally this, the, the essence of this, of this thesis. Your, your domesticated farming and, and herding neighbors who are defouling the environment, making themselves sick, exposing themselves to animal diseases, suffering, and living on a far sharper razor's edge of survival in defiance of the Hobbesian nightmare theory of nasty, brutish, and short state of nature, primitive chaos. It's actually the opposite. There was far more resilience and stability and adaptability and dynamism that could absorb stress from climate change and from food shortages and whatever else, there was just way more of a diversity of options at that more primal level. And that they, and if you are not aware of this, I will, I will clearly state that uh, the consensus at this point is that, quote, anatomically modern homo sapiens sapiens, you and me, have had the same brain capacity and the same physiology such that we could, if we went in a time machine, go back at least 100,000 years, if not 200,000 years. And now estimates are even going back further, but I think it's safe to say the consensus is around 200,000 years still, that the, the, the estimation and determination is that we would be able to successfully mate with an anatomically modern human so that means that we've actually been here if if we if we take that even if we even if we're modest and we say 100,000 years then that 10,000 years of agriculture is that is uh, only 10 of those 100,000 years so that's a fraction that doesn't represent our true way of being how we've evolved and um, I bring that up because as I'm rewilding and I'm living closer and closer to the raw elements even to the 
sound of the rain on my corrugated sheet metal roof just a few few feet above my face. I feel the winds. I, I eat the sandstorms. Of course, I do wear masks and goggles when I need to, but but even that's kind of... I mean, the coyotes don't have that. I don't know what they do. Nothing else has any of the any plastic, anything to protect themselves. They don't seem to be all dropping dead of valley fever. They don't seem to be all just weighed down by lungs full of of sand and eyes just ground down by dust. Somehow it seems like being a wild animal. Even the, even the critters, the rodents that that urinate a kind of a crystalline gel so that they don't lose a lot of their hydration everything is fine-tuned and um there are yeah there are desert dwellers humans that are fine-tuned for that environment and their physiology is is uh we're still we're we're, we're still homo sapiens sapiens but yeah, if it's whether for the difference between the pygmies and the Maasai, for example, those are adaptations that are very idiosyncratic to the to the the, the environment that they're that they've evolved in for a very long time. So for me, yeah, a white dude <laughs> with a permanent uh, farmer's tan being baked red out in the desert, I gotta expect I'm gonna be suffering, and uh, and I am suffering. But um, I chose this. I wouldn't have it any other way. This is my rebellion. This is my standoff with modernity. And uh, yeah, I can pray all I want for pain to go away. And I can chant mantras all I want. And I still do. I do believe in the power of mantras to focus and purify and discipline the mind. Whether you believe in the deities or not you could be chanting a mantra about mickey mouse but the fact is the effect of it the physiological effect of it is is provable and has been proven in terms of regulating all kinds of systems uh just in the physical body if you don't believe in anything metaphysical which is fine and because i'm in this lane of permaculture the the sort of um I wouldn't call it a rule, but it is ill-advised and frowned upon by the establishment of permaculture, which I respect, to not teach permaculture with anything other than science and ethics and to leave metaphysics out of the course material if you're teaching the permaculture design course but that doesn't preclude a christian camp from having christian permaculture and certainly uh jeff lawton himself is a converted muslim as as his his uh family that he married into i believe is the is the is the core uh story behind that um and they're on the Permaculture podcast with Scott Mann. He did a series of, I think, Permaculture and Faith was what the series was called. And he interviewed a, a fellow that I really admired and respected because he was able to decode the Quran and 
help people interpret it as a treatise on earth care and I thought that was amazing. That's exactly what I want. I mean, I remember as a teenager reading the Heretic's Guide to the Bible where somebody put together all the most horrific, sexist, homophobic, violent, just vile, abusive, sadistic verses. And uh, and that was the ammo that me as a anarcho-punk, anti-religious warrior would use to in debates and in arguments and whatnot. And uh, I wasn't thinking at that time when I was very combative intellectually, I wasn't thinking of, well, how do you, how do you social engineer and be a little bit more like an intelligence operative about learning how to speak someone's language and being able to share understanding with them, even if you don't agree with them. I mean, even FBI hostage negotiators have a whole thesis about the about the way that they're successful at hostage negotiation is to learn the art of, sh- of showing you understand someone even though you don't agree with them and the way you do that is to actually listen to them and then repeat back to them what you hear them say and ask them questions that are informed questions based on the fact that you listen to them and that alone will warm them up to you because that's kind of all they were really trying to do all along was just be heard and be understood Maybe they don't even care or expect you to agree with them. Maybe they expect you to fully disagree with them. They just want you, they just want to be heard and they want to be understood. And once they know that from somebody, maybe the hostage negotiator was the first one ever in their life to do that. And that's what talked them off the ledge or got them to swap their hostage, civilian hostages for some something else or some other scenario. But it but it was a successful successful formula and now the guy is like doing corporate uh you know retreats or whatever, being a life coach or whatever and uh and more power to him. He's changed my life thinking of things that way. And so to be less antagonistic and be more of a more be be more able to stand in someone's shoes, you get a lot further, you get a lot more done. So for me, I would rather hack my enemies by impersonating them but with without not not in a cynical way but in a in a CIA case officer operative kind of way where it's just the job is you learn a language and you learn customs and you you try to blend in and fit in and you have to if you want something out of somebody you're going to have to build rapport with them it comes from NLP as well so whether it's sales or flipping an asset behind enemy lines or um, talking someone off the ledge or whatever it is um, <laughs> I remember one of my when I had the opportunity to be a I would say co-parent not a stepfather but the closest that I was for the longest period there were other periods where I had relationships where where I was in a stepfather role, but they were short-lived, but this one lasted, I think, over a year. And so there was a, a dy- there was a, yeah, a dy- dynamic that was, um, there were some real soul-building moments with that family unit that I was a part of, and, and I was integrated with, with the ex-husband in a very interesting way that was very soul-building as well and became very mature and evolved and and I I, I just um, I think it was a, a powerful learning and growth exper- experience and it, it, it 
in some ways it brought the best out of everybody involved it changed their the the it, we were able to heal some of the messed up dynamics there was and it was through permaculture actually like permaculture helped that broken family and i was an instrument of that a delegate of that and uh and those were the things that 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 we all bonded over all of us the 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 son the estranged ex-husband and the mother and ex-wife who was my lover and business partner for that year or so and uh yeah, I'm kind of all over the place tonight, but uh, this is my little party, my little solo celebration party of this legitimate rain falling, extending my survivability and the ability for me to even have a growing season of all the seeds I have stored away. This rain guarantees that I will have a growing season this fall. And it guarantees that uh, if I don't want to leave here because I don't, because it's not financially, uh, it's financially dangerous to do so. Um, and I don't feel financially fit to to risk financial ruin by anything at all going wrong out there in the world. Safer in the wild is the uh, is is <laughs> there's a good mantra for for me you know maybe for you someday too, but financially more secure and safer less value at risk when my vehicles are staying put right here and functioning as as uh, homesteads tiny homes and uh, pantries and shelters and uh, ant and scorpion escape platforms and and everything that you could possibly maximize the potential of I don't want to put them out in the road if I don't have to and the only thing the last and only thing now that would force me out of my position here for even a day is my water supply getting close to running out forcing me to resupply with water and import water which is what I am trying to break free of because everything else I need which isn't much some replacement parts and gadgets and tools and whatnot some some kitchenware as things get need to be replaced and I realize what I need to optimize certain things but basically a tiny carload of some boxes of bulk food and some 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 deliveries of some components you know irrigation tubing and plumbing fittings and just electronic parts for the office the the, the humble minimal solar office i have there's not a lot of yeah i don't need to i don't need to do a lot of big projects I, I don't want to spend the money to do it in the, in this market I'm waiting I'm, I'm waiting for markets to recover so that my net worth rebounds and then yeah that'll give me I can flex a little bit again but right now I can't so I don't want to leave for any reason the only thing that would force me out is like a horrific injury or illness or the failure of the rain 
to refill all of my tankage, which I now know the tankage capacity that I purchased and imported into this site is more than enough with just a little bit of rain captured the way I'm capturing it to to take me from one year to the next. So this time, this year, I topped off all that tankage with water from the outside and I was able to refill some of it with rainwater, but not all of it. And I'm hoping that if this tropical storm that's already kind of started for me I don't know if it started for anyone else and this is just sort of the opening act and it's about to get a lot crazier in the next couple days but for me I can only hope that there's enough periods of calm with the winds that the winds the the water and the, the rain doesn't just all go sideways and doesn't land on any of my catchment systems that's happened a lot where it's just this diffusion is almost like just a thick fog because the rain, the wind is so violent that you're not even catching rain because it's all going sideways pretty much. It's a wall of mist at that point, even if it's heavy rain. What, what works great is light and heavy rain with little to no wind. And then that just gets vertically directed right into my catchment systems and it's a drop in the bucket, but I've made it scalable so that the next supply run that I hire someone to do for me, if they give me two more 20 by 20 foot 16 mil tarps that can that I can lay in to the giant 25 foot diameter multi um, concentric circle depth level pond um, systems that I've dug with the last of my functioning legs and functioning back now it's almost like the Roman architecture the aqueducts all the things that were marvels and lost the technology was lost and the engineering was lost during the dark ages so called the middle ages people who lived amongst the Roman ruins for hundreds of years after, they lost the recipe for concrete or cement, whichever one of the two, I, I can't remember, I get those confused, but in the collapse of that empire. So to me, I have these, I, I don't know who built them, giants from another world. <laughs> Ancient aliens built my ponds because there's no way I could even think about doing them now, or at least the way I feel right now. I can barely walk, I can barely, I can't lift anything heavy, I can barely walk. And um, when I walk, I have to do it very, very slowly. And uh, it's not pretty and it's, and it's, it's agonizing pain. Luckily, when I'm still and relaxed, I can move around, but I just can't stand upright and put weight I'm not, yeah, another. It looks no. It, more, it looks more like C-3PO. It looks more even. I mean, C-3PO looks very hindered. Again, it's probably just the the way the suit doesn't have the joint, um, just the fluidity and the range of motion. Just the yeah between RoboCop and C-3PO, you're like yeah. They either look. 
they need to go to the bathroom or they're constipated or they're, they've been severely injured or something is very wrong. Um, but most likely, yeah, I mean, Robo, RoboCop, I know it was more intentional and maybe better, but more state-of-the-art costuming. But uh, C-3PO, I think it was probably just <laughs> a clunky suit. And maybe there, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there was equal effort put into trying to be very very robotic in, in that in that movement so don't let yeah don't let me um don't let me talk any smack on on c-3po and the actor and the, the fine direction that they were given it's probably all very planned but it, it definitely seemed a lot more painstaking and awkward with c-3po maybe it was the neurotic voice uh that that just sort of um in combo with that <laughs> that very tortured gait but it's it's like that it's like walking on coals or something or it's just pins and needles and whenever i'm upright fully it's something just all these things compounding it's 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 agonizing excruciating humbling and i'm hoping that um that as it cools off and as i i mean i do i can walk for 30 minutes and just in grimace and breathe and try to do Tai Chi and just try to push energy and yeah, it's a little bit metaphysical, but um but yeah, I guess this this is coming now full circle with just reconciling wishful thinking and metaphysics and prayer with the reality of rewilding and the reality of working the land. You know, we're not built to last forever. And um with the right nutrition and the right community, we we can offset injuries that I'm probably inducing in myself just because no no person's supposed to be an island. You're not supposed to have to survive like this. This for me is the fact the fact that I'm rejecting and rebelling against civilization and I don't have a lot of friends who care to do it this way or do it where I'm doing it. <laughs> That's certainly a factor. But uh, nonetheless, here I am, and I take pride in this experiment. It's the, the, the longest I've been away from Babylon, and I have less and less desire at every day that goes by to go back. And it'd be nice to have visitors someday, but they would have to have really gotten really rugged and hardcore because, A, they wouldn't last... They wouldn't last a minute from June to September, that's for sure. Um, and they might not last a day or a week in, at any other time um, because of what it takes to to get by in this climate, in this biome, the the dangers and, and risks. And uh, but to me, the freedom, the beauty, the wildness, the ancestral mystique—that's what what I dreamed of and what I preached about my whole life, intellectually speaking. That is to some degree spiritually, but the spirituality that I wanted was a spirituality of the wild animal, which is live by your wits. And I mean, I can't speak for them directly, but I know a lot of them make art, they make tools, but they don't seem neurotic about wishful thinking and magical thinking about about God's punishing them or, or saving them. 
and miracle cures and whatnot. I do have some metaphysical, I guess, um, ness left in me, and I do believe in things like pranic healing and different forms of Reiki, and I do believe that mind over matter is a thing and that magic is as real as anything in the sense that consciousness can function at a level that alters physical reality the surface that yeah the depths of the of, of the of the subconscious mind and when it's mastered can have effects downstream into the physical realm but rewilding has brought me closer to that kung san sentiment that yeah a lot of that stuff you're if you're using the secret to get a mansion and a lamborghini and have all the clout and all the women and be rich and famous and be a leader, be an influencer, whatever it is. If you get struck down with cancer or injury or anything humbling, nothing wrong with praying, but I, I'm not, I can't put all my eggs in that basket. I've got to think about the crushing harsh reality of just aging and being exposed to the elements and my my prayer is that uh is that i'm not being cursed and i'm not being punished but that i'm learning just with no with the gloves off what it's like to reintegrate with nature alone which is a, it's 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 suicide i mean it's a, it's it's a, it's signing your own death warrant and for me, I'm just at that point where my mantra, my one mantra is, it's okay because I don't have my whole life ahead of me. And it's, I have that much less life to lose, whatever happens now. Some people take that in the wrong direction and make, makes them into sociopaths that do harm to society. I'm the opposite. I'd say to myself, it's okay for me to face death and deprivation and suffering in these ways because, you know, I had a lot of good true love. And romance, I don't, I, I, I don't need to chase that. In, in, uh, at the expense of my health and my wealth, I don't need to chase girls anymore, because I was successful enough at that, and I didn't care. I, I, I felt for ide- for intellectual or ideological reasons, mostly I chose not to build a family. So I'm kind of a, a dud, an evolutionary dead end. I really don't I really shouldn't be taking up much space in society anyway. It's better that I live in exile if I'm done chasing girls, if I'm not even going to build a family with them and just waste their time. I even have a vasectomy, so it's just up front. Yeah, just should be you know front and center that uh I can't build your family for you, so you're just wasting your life and fucking off and fucking around with me. And that's not to put down people who are same sex so that they're not going to biologically reproduce. They can certainly adopt. And even the most conservative of the people who I am influenced by now would say things like, do you. Just don't don't cram your rainbow flag into any of my orifices and we'll be fine. I think that's almost as simple as that in a lot of this culture war circumstances I, I hate to put it that way but 
but if even some of the most conservatives can be cool with same-sex adopting families and just live and let live, then that's great. They don't need to live with hate and and phobia in their heart. I certainly don't. But I make that statement because you don't have to be a breeder. I mean, people who choose not to reproduce biologically because of their sexual orientation, that's one reason to not be a breeder. For me, it's that my population, I'm going to practice with what I preach about overpopulation, and I'm going to say it's not necessary. If I ever wanted to build a family, I could be a stepfather again, or a co-parent again, or I could adopt, and that would be... I'm not reversing the vasectomy. So there's that. But basically, again, that much less life to lose. I chose this path. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really, really, really matter to anybody else how long I live. And I've severed most ties with most close friends to where there's people I still talk to. But I've even said, I don't want to see you because I don't, I mean, I want to see you, but I'm going to decline to see you because I don't want, um, I want it to be easier on anybody if I die out here alone for them to go, well, it it hurt. Maybe I shed a tear or two, but it wasn't like we were hanging out every day like we used to. It wasn't like we were sleeping together and in love like we used to be. And, And we all know that was how he wanted it to be. He wanted to live out a natural life and die gracefully, peacefully, and uh, in nature, in the wild. Not getting hit by a bus, not hopefully dying of carcinogens by sucking in fumes from the city or carbon monoxide from vehicle exhaust or anything the result of human-built environments. If I'm gonna die, it'll be at the it'll be in the mouth of a wild animal, or or um, certainly I'll be devoured and scavenged by wild animals of all kinds. No matter where I die here, even if I die inside the cab of a truck, I already know that they can, when they're motivated, they can raid that. It's not <laughs> it's not airtight. It's not. It's not technically, it doesn't, it won't be watertight for very long once those rubber seals wear out, you know, in, in, in this climate. So even if I were to die in a, in a vehicle cab, I would still get found and hopefully eaten to a bone so no human sees the puffed out rigor mortis. But I'm not trying to shorten my life. This isn't, you know, this isn't, uh, I like to live as happily and healthy as I can. And if I'm hobbling along if I never get my full natural ability to walk and my back never really fully recovers then I will feel proud about the the life I lived with full ability and I will not lean on anyone else to I'm not going to try to burden anyone else or or expose anyone else to my barbaric yelps as I scream in agony in agony and I've never again ever had so much pain and so much 
um, torture of the body just starting to give out. I'm, but again, I'm just grateful that I'm grateful that I did the mainframe hardscape earthworks by hand, digging those ponds. And now, today, I was I was able to deploy those tarps, get them hooked in with the paracord and the carabiners to the anchors, spread them out, fight the wind, get them in place, huffing and puffing, grimacing and screeching and shouting from the pain but getting it done and then just licking my wounds afterwards they've been in place waiting being teased by tiny little several minute bits of rain dropping and it's just been partially cloudy and little moments of just trickles of rain and it's been a it's been a mind fuck because I'd go back and forth folding up the giant heavy awkward throw out your back and now just end up in torturous pain with not being able to carry your weight or stand up properly when you have to get down to put it in place and it's just yeah it's it's extremely agonizing and uh but I, but I still force myself through it. I do it, and it gets done. And if that's going to be my life until it gets worse and something else gives out, I mean, it seems like the pattern is with time, it'll get better. When it cools down, I'll be able to do... I'll be, I mean, I did run. I did force myself to run, and it was extreme torture and agony but it but it was mechanically possible i didn't my heart didn't explode i didn't just like pinch a nerve or twist or break something so that i just collapsed and then had an actual injury and there appears to be no injury it just appears to be some something off with um with the, with possibly the ability of it possibly the the, uh, the the compounding factors of age heat just generalized exposure to the elements and uh but during the winter i would walk for 30 minutes a day um and i would do a lot of projects and do a lot of heave ho building stuff you know and uh and of course i was digging those ponds out so i was getting ripped and i'm still i'm still i mean i'm not uh you know, I'm not going to be on the cover of a muscle magazine, but, you know, I'm as, I'm as in shape as any, I mean, yes, I have a, I have a very, a very, uh, chiseled head to toe physique right now, more so than ever in my life. So I'm not, I don't feel like it doesn't, it does not look or feel like I'm losing muscle mass. That's why I'm really not thinking it's, it, I don't, it doesn't feel like a nutritional deficiency Although maybe there's just some really obscure random vitamin or something that's just making it so that the muscle repair process, the the rip and repair rest that cycle. It's like what what would happen if you 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 do some form of exertion, a workout, or just a day where you did more walking or more lifting or more whatever. 
because maybe you were moving and you were lifting a bunch of boxes and you were sore imagine if just that soreness didn't wear off and just stayed that way <laughs> that's kind of what's happened where my legs meet my pelvis and it's not my knees are fine it's nothing about my knees i don't so it has to be that that stretching which would normally cycle itself through it's like yeah it's like you you um it's, yeah to me only the only thing i could compare it to is if you were really sore from an intense weightlifting workout and you had been totally accustomed to having that yeah taking it they say yeah work out hard one day and then and then rest as much as you can the next to give that cycle of rip and repair and rest exactly what exactly what it needs if you were to overdo it you would never get that repair would never happen you'd be you'd be setting yourself up for disaster i don't know if everyone agrees with that but it seems sensible to me and i i haven't wanted to push that and there are ways to yeah rotate different muscle groups so that you're not you're not not getting a workout every day if you want to be getting a workout every day you just rotate the muscle groups so you let one group rest and you work and you alternate but imagine if you've hopefully you've had the experience of exertion to where you have sore muscles and you know what that feels like so just imagine that that repair cycle just never comes back and you're like what the fuck so that's been me over the last few weeks and now I'm in obviously in this existential philosophical philosophical moment just sharing and being I'm not candy coating or over romanticizing the myth of the noble wannabe savage you know there's no I'm being totally honest and I have been since the start of what it's like to do this and I'm I'm just taking using this forum. I mean, hopefully, if anything, the takeaway for anyone is just please God let people learn how to get along with each other and find synergy and alignment so that no one has to do this alone. There are reasons why to me this is my destiny and and I needed to be excused from society because of my disdain for it. And because I have always been a misfit and a real misfit, <laughs> the one thing I'm not a poser at, it's being a reject and a misfit. And that's why watching that movie Suburb Suburbia where they get the, the rejected tattoo so that they can be a clan of squatter warriors in Orange County, then that's the initiation. Ridiculous as it may be, in that moment, when uh, Joe Schmo, I think his name is, and Jack Diddley, they were the two punk rockers. One of them was in, Jack Diddley was in Platoon and Point Break, and I never saw Joe Schmo again, but obviously Flea was in that film. It was it was made by Penelope Spiris, who did, uh, of of Wayne's World fame and, and, and many other films. I can't remember the, the Decline in Western Civilization series and many other just even blockbusters that that that, uh, that were part of her career but somehow she was able to read the pulse of of uh the rebel music subculture going back even i think before the 80s but 
or at least to the very early 80s. And uh, yeah, I grew up on suburbia and I know what it feels like to be a squatter and to be rejected and to be a runaway and to find your tribe, but then to, to have that tribe always be corroded by trauma and drug abuse and polite society hating you and wanting to run you out, run you to, to extinction, and the cops doing the same thing, the system grinding you down and breaking you apart. The point where they say everyone knows families don't work and when they say all we have is each other. That's a really important film. And that guided me spiritually and and socially. And I would say the best times in my life were where we did have our squats and our co-ops and our just punk ghetto community communes. They weren't always the most hygienic place, but there was a lot of love and solidarity and not even that much violence safer than you might imagine and when we got gardening in the mix and we got into permaculture that's when things really really shined for me so those were the you know those are the things that I have in my heart that I carry with me that I remember and yeah I sure like I sure love for some of the the most badass eco warriors of those earlier chapters of my life to one day at least yeah some of them I, w- I would say you're welcome here and I'm and 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 you have the warrior mindset such that you 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 would listen to all these things I'm saying and you would totally understand and you and you're like I'm the same way I want to be left alone I want I don't want to be fucked with I'm ready to die I make every day a good day to die so that it's a better day to live and I'm trying to be independent, but I also want to collaborate. I also want to synergize. And so, yeah, my hope is that other people from my past and maybe people who I'll meet in the future, that they will they will um, choose to live in the vicinity. And, hey, if they want to be on grid and have AC and have refrigeration and have stovetops and all the amenities it's not that far away from me we could still walk or bike or off-road vehicle or atv to trade crops and barn raise and stuff like that so yeah if i survive and i'm not so crippled that i can't do any of those things and i just literally one day wake up unable to move I don't think I'm going to call for help at that point I think I'm going to say it was a good run thank you very much the people who will find my corpse and do what they got to do with it I won't they won't be doing me a favor I won't be burdening them my taxpayers my, my tax paid I paid my share to have those folks who do that job be able to put their kids through college and give them their 401k and their health insurance so that they could have you know relatively middle class income from the insurance sort of pool that is taxpayers giving them a salary so I won't feel any shame about dying alone and I won't be begging anyone to 
hear me belly aching about this. <laughs> I hope I don't sound like a, a drain. I hope I sound like someone who is ready to meet their maker. And uh, <laughs> and I'm not. Uh, I'm pretty. I'm, I'm pretty at peace with it. Like I said, if I if I did the heavy lifting up front and made this place livable, that was kind of the whole point. Like I'm not gonna be young and robust forever. I've gotta. I worked my ass off and broke my back and spent my best years being a wage slave to build other people's dreams in their businesses and in their landscapes and growing food for them in their yards and making their the place for their family beautiful. And as a working class wage slave, that was on the trajectory I was going to be on to be ground to a pulp until death and just have things start falling apart and I'd be yeah aching and suffering with compounding ailments and still have to get up by an alarm clock and be in traffic and have a boss I got lucky with a little bit of skill in the mix to have some amount of my back and my legs and my life energy to terraform a desert wasteland and turn almost every splinter of the ruins of the old house on the land into my 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 current shelter and my tree growing boxes and my regenerative permaculture infrastructure i was able to do all that over the course of two years and dig those ponds and now all i gotta do is have enough money in my nest egg to shave off bits at a time to have a once, maybe twice a year delivery of food supplies until I'm able to grow my own food. But the key limiting factor is my rainwater storage capacity. And I know that even in extreme weather conditions, whether it's cold or heat, an extreme debilitating pain from atrophy or back being thrown out, or just things just totally perplexing Bermuda Triangle. What the fuck is going on? I did this my whole life. I used to do the splits. What the fuck is going on? And people told me, yeah, you're doing, you're able to do those high kicks and do the splits and be, you know, super bendy because you're young and you better not slow down on that. And I, I was able to get my kicks back after years of not stretching regularly in my 30s. And I was able to get almost fully down to the floor with the splits, but I knew, I knew then, yes, the window is closing and the longer you wait in between maintaining that, I'm not trying to be, I just want to, me, I want to, I want to age with grace the way that Shaolin Kung Fu masters age with grace. And that is that you stretch and you do Kung Fu so that your chi is able to flow. And I don't, I'm not, I'm not at the Tai Chi age right now. I mean, I will do some of that type of slow movement, um, but I'm still of fighting age by the military standards of most of the nations of the world. Maybe they wouldn't, they would draft me, but they wouldn't allow me to enlist. Um, is, uh, I think, yeah, they would, they would, they would prefer to, to have younger recruits, um, 
and I'm not trying to go on that path, but as far as like, yeah, you, no matter how old you are, whether the military wants you or not, you need to be able to defend yourself no matter what. So the more flexible you are, the more you train what you what you know how to do in, a, in, in real street combat, almost never would you be as foolish as to kick above waist level, thus exposing yourself to being easily pushed off balance and grappled with on the ground, which you don't, would never want. Or, more simply, your leg gets trapped and you're pulled in to be pummeled. Or worse, and almost easiest, you get struck in the groin. So all that performative martial arts, what's what's what, why I still want to have my kicks and be flexible, now I'm learning that, uh, yeah, I don't know what, what I got to do differently, but but I'm gonna have to rethink all of that and but I don't want to give it up because when I think about I'm haunted by I'm haunted by this documentary where Jason Scott Lee who played Bruce Lee in the film Dragon at age 45 he went to the the Shaolin temple to be to be um put himself through that crucible as a martial artist and he wasn't a kung fu master. He had he was trained in Jeet Kune Do for that film. He was a surfer, I believe, a Hawaiian native surfer. When he got the gig, I think I I, I know I had seen him, and he was in Back to the Future Two, and I think he was in the Jungle Book, and amongst other other roles. But I mean, I know he was trained in kung fu, Wing Chun or Wing Chun, Kung Fu, Jeet Kune Do, and, and many of the other modalities, I assume, fencing and Western boxing, which were, and uh, Filipino arts, which were the, the biggest uh, areas of focus, amongst many other things, but I think Bruce Lee was most focused on, on Western boxing. Uh, well, Wing Chun, Kung Fu, and, and uh, Western boxing, fencing, uh, and uh, and Filipino arts are the ones that I I believe were most emphasized after studying his work, training with Jeet Kune Do masters under his lineage and whatnot. Um, just another tangent, but when Jason's that, just watching that documentary with Jason Scott Lee at age 45, knowing that he was trained to be very masterful with Kung Fu and Jeet Kune Do and, and other arts, because that's the original mixed martial arts. Jeet Kune Do was kind of the... Bruce Lee was the pioneer of, of mixed martial arts, really. But Jason Scott Lee, he stuck with it. And it's not all about, I mean, the performative Taekwondo acrobatic flying kick kind of emphasis. I don't know. I don't know how long Taekwondo masters can keep up that level of of vigor, but I know. Yeah, I mean, the people who are able to be most masterful are the ones who make a career out of teaching, because then they are literally doing it all day, every day, and they never get stiff. But for me, I had my kicks growing up. I lost them for a number of years. I got them back. 
and I started training with Ji Kune Do masters in Southern California and uh, when Bruce Lee said when we're talking about combat well then baby you better train every part of your body and one of his most devastating maneuvers was this sort of leaping sidekick that was I believe it was measured scientifically but it's used in several of his films where you see him like literally sending people flying and he worked on that he said beware don't fear the man who knows a thousand kicks beware of the man who practices one kick a thousand times I think that was one of his quotes um, so all that is to say, I'm just kind of doing some disclaimers and try, trying to justify the fact that I'm not going to let being in my early 40s, which is really young in Kung Fu master years, you know, this is a time where I have the freedom from outside obligations. I should be really catching up on all of the Kung Fu mastery that I had excuses to not catch up on. So that's why I've gotten back into, and I feel like, yeah, the land is, this is very much what you see in those films about the Shaolin Temple and what you see with Mr. Miyagi and, and Karate Kid. I'm doing combative maneuvers with the way I move the earth. And the only thing that is not very optimized in terms of my physique and my fighting skills and my very naturalistic martial arts I mean, there were so many films where they were juxtaposing the the high-tech modern fighter whether it's kickboxing or western boxing or karate whatever whatever it was that that motif of watching the traditionalist primitive primitivist traditionalist ancient style master even rocky in rocky four training in a log cabin and marching out into the, in the mountains on the snow and uh what was his name the the uh well it was Dolph Lundgren and him being all hyped up in the modern world but yeah for me I'm like of course I'm going to be living in this permanent training montage but not to make it too campy and have it to be actually real the fact is digging ponds will put will put meat on your bones and sculpt you very nicely and it has and uh the thing that crushes me is three months of being tortured by the sun and bedridden and now apparently my timing was bad with trying to do those do those stretches and it's kind of like they got stuck because they were it was everything was fine everything was was going along smoothly the procedure that i would normally use to gradually ease into with a bit of prosthetic help a, a stretching regimen i was doing it by my previous successful standards and i'm not i'm not that old shouldn't be that much of a big deal the only thing I can, I, I mean, I have to, I have to factor it in. I've been researching it. Disuse, unloaded. Those are the key words coming up in medical research studies about atrophy in 
in these uh, studies that they do and understanding things like, whoa, I didn't think about how the plasticity of the nervous system and the brain is such that it's really the use it or lose it reality. So I guess I was, I was starting to really ramp up my usage of those, of stretching and, and working out those, those, those kicking muscles <laughs> where the, where the groin is and where the, the, the legs meet the pelvis. I was starting to ramp up that usage throughout spring. And then I was using it and then the the summer heat hit and knocked me on my ass, laid me out to where I can still do some sort of calisthenic and yoga-like stretches while I'm laid out on my back. But but that repair is not happening. And so just wish me luck, I guess. And (laughs) another reason for me not to leave because in a street fight, I'm useless. I cannot defend myself right now. So yeah, there are peacemaking devices that level the the battlefield as it were that i'm I'm not deprived of by any means <laughs> if you know what I mean but uh I don't want to be in that situation either so just um yeah 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 if you want to come and, and threaten me now that you know that I'm physically weak just know that i'm also I'm also mastering the kung fu that i call flood sport and i have a beast mode switch where i don't know if i could lift a a car off an infant like has been the lore is about mothers who get adrenalized to a point where they can do feats of strength that are otherworldly but i know when i hear rain like i hear it right now if i heard this rain right now i would be kidding up to go deploy those tarps even if I was screaming in agony the whole time to do it, which I pretty much was this this last time, but I've got footage of it. You can even hear me huffing and puffing, and you can hear the footsteps and know that I'm in torturous agony, but I'm going to push through it. And if I, it doesn't kill me, it'll make me stronger, and I will, like Jason Scott Lee, push myself through a crucible in my 40s to catch up on the discipline of the Shaolin Kung Fu styles. I have it in me. I've done it before. I've had that fluidity and of movement and the flexibility. So it's all there. All that muscle memory is there. I just have to earn it to get it back and if the cost is pain then I will pay in pain and it would be nice to have some (laughs) to be spoiled with Dakini uh, masseuse lovers the way I have been in the past and uh, but for now I just gotta do self care and uh, if anything, again, if you're if you're older than me, then I hope you find ways to salvage the dignity of an able body to the extent possible, where you're able to defend yourself, and you feel like you have as much combative prowess as you can possibly muster. And if you're younger than me, live it up, 
because it, it gets it, it only gets uglier and not prettier as you start to fall apart and there's not much you can do about it and botox isn't gonna botox isn't gonna help me <laughs> under these circumstances and you don't have to be living in such extreme conditions to to start to have digestive problems and cognitive problems and that's not even factoring in covid and long covid and whatnot so yeah good luck to all of us and be kind to yourself and others and try to purify your thought stream because last thing your body needs well healing and and adapting is to uh for it to be toxified by by your negativity or by a, a tolerance for other people's negativity so hopefully you can resonate that whether it's through metaphysical means or purely physical and scientific means yeah i still sing i still dance even though it hurts <laughs> i still train i still get the job done Charlie, Mike, continue mission. Soldier on. Cheers.